This is a CW Spiral, a podcast run by two Barchies and a Bughead. We're your hosts, Sabrina Reed, Michael Patterson, and Reed Gowden, bringing you history about the network, the latest news, and in-depth spoiler-filled discussions of some of our favorite shows on the CW. Okay, so if you're listening to us now and you haven't grabbed a snack and you haven't grabbed a drink, I suggest you pause us and go do that now. <laughs> it is, we asked for news and we still haven't gotten the news that we wanted, which is renewal or cancellation news, but we've gotten a lot of CW news. So we're going to be here for a while. This most likely is going to be a two hour podcast. Welcome to chaos. <laughs> <laughs> so to kick things off, we have finale dates. Finally. So uh, Walker season three finale is on May 11th, which, you know, we forgot it was on. <laughs> but Truly. Sorry to the Walker fans. <laughs> I know. So after Walker finales, there'll be an All-American season five finale on May 15th. If you've been waiting for it to hit uh, Netflix, it'll drop on May 23rd. So you can binge the entire season five. All-American is the only show that has a renewal. So they will be returning for presumably in the fall. I don't think they're going to shake up the schedule, especially because it's a show focused on football. Um, so they would want to have it airing during football season. But we'll see because, um, you know, there's a lot happening in the TV universe. If you haven't <laughs> gone on Twitter to see that things are happening, not to alarm anybody, but continue. The Flash series finale <laughs> airs when? <laughs> it airs May 24th. <laughs> end of an era i feel like that was the one we knew going into this and it's nice to see the rest of the finales fill out i mean looking at that list we can only say two definitive things one we know all All american is a season finale and we know the flash is a series finale Mm -hmm. the rest of them we're still in limbo on i know and that one will likely hit netflix in june if nothing weird Mm -hmm. happens um then we have the superman lower season three finale on june 27th and then we're gonna and Gotham Knights is ending that same night too on June twenty seventh. Well, makes as sense. A season I think. finale. Yeah, we'll say. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense uh, to air them both. I think together they've kind of had enjoyed quite a successful run. The Super Knights trend has been, uh, I think, a success for the CW. So I mean, it makes sense for them both to bow out on the same night. But like we just said, I hope they were bowing out for season finales and not series finales. Fingers crossed. Uh, then after finale news, we got acquisition news, which for those who don't know, it means that it's stuff that's coming from other countries, particularly Canada, um, the UK and Australia. So uh, first up is the Rising, which is going to be taking over All American Spot um, on Monday, May 29th. It's a supernatural crime thriller about a young woman named Nev who is hell bent on solving her own murder. murder. And she has supernatural powers, so that's how she's going to be able to help other people connect the dots. It's going to be interesting. That screams CW to me, or at least the old CW, so I I like that there. I will say, as the UK member of this team, I should have heard of The Rising before. I have not. I did not know the show existed. It's a Sky original series. Um, But, like, I feel like this ticks the boxes of the genre that the CW is known for, and I feel like we keep bringing this up. As the network continues to evolve and change, it's nice to see those little remnants of its old style and its old identity come back. So I don't know what the show's like, but on paper, it sounds like it would be right at home on the CW. Yeah, I'm going to give it an one-episode try, mm-hmm. just to see where we go. I mean, it looks interesting, um, and it does fit into the CW's 
line of programming, if that makes sense, that I have already watched a murder mystery about a young woman who was murdered. Um, that is School Spirits. I'm going to continue promoting School Spirits because it's amazing. And if you have not watched it, you should. It's on Paramount Plus. Um, but moving on to Barons, which is going to air after the rising in the 9 p.m. slot on May 29th. It is a period piece. Um, it's another 70s one. The Winchesters were set in the 70s, and now we have another 70s show, except this one is set in Australia, and it focuses on surfers. Uh, I don't think it's, it doesn't really seem like it's going to be a sports drama because according to the synopsis, um, the 70s were a time of sexual liberation, social disruption, protest, and war. So this show captures a unique moment of upheaval and opportunity as new surfing counterculture collides with the realities of enterprise. It's focused on two best friends who are inspired by their love of the Australian beach to create what will become a rival iconic surf brand, that brand being board shorts. Um, and little do they know uh, that their success will tear them and their worlds apart. So we're going for rivalry. We're going for feuds. A lot going on in this mm. um, synopsis, which makes me so intrigued for this one, more so than The Rising. And I already told you guys this, but since I'm more intrigued by parents, I'm probably going to like The Rising more because that's just how it works for me. <laughs> it, it, this doesn't sound like it'd be totally out of place on the network either. It is funny that it came in, or the announcement came in at the same time as The Rising because they're complete polar opposites. But I feel like Reading that synopsis, there's enough of a CW kind of genre in there for this to work. Like you said, a lot going on. Interested to see how it goes. But like, so far, so good. I'm on board with this a lot more than some of the other decisions they've made lately. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like decent summer programming mm -hmm. for the CW. Like, it's a, a little odd for us only because not quite used to the summer programming not being CW originals or shows that are, are returning. But it'll be... I'm willing to give them a chance to see where they go from here. Same with Sullivan's Crossing, which uh, is a full acquisition. So we're starting to get into the 2023-2024 television schedule. And that one is bringing back three CW stars. It's Child McMurray. Did I say child? Chad. Chad McElmurray. <laughs> <laughs> Scott Patterson. Um, and Merkin Khan. If you don't know who Merkin Khan is, she played Stephanie Brown on Batwoman. So they are trying to definitely hit their bases when it comes to having a built-in audience who's going to tune into this show. Um, so Sullivan's Crossing is about a star neurosurgeon who appears to have it all into her business partner is indicted for fraud and she finds herself charged with negligence, which makes her leave Boston. So she returns home to Sullivan's Crossing, a remote campground by her estranged father, Sully. And there she meets Cal Jones. Cal Jones is played by child Michael Murray. So we're definitely probably going to get a romance in with oh, those absolutely. two. Yeah, this is based on a book. I don't know if it's a book series. I should have looked that up by the same author as Virgin River on Netflix, Robin Carr. So that fandom's definitely going to be tuning into this, especially since this is the debut in the United States. Like, I, I don't know how it's like, because we know that like Sweet Magnolias, it, Virgin River, those kinds of shows are huge on Netflix. But how will that translate on a broadcast network mm -hmm. that's what i'm going to be looking for because i know i think out of the three this will be the biggest hit and we probably won't compare them because it's two different like they're not going to be on at the same time but i th I think this could be a huge hit like this mm -hmm. it may not be what we want from the network but i think if we're going to get anything this feels right mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. a new era i don't know 
Yeah, this is the one of the three that excites me the most because it feels like, I'm, I'm going to say that there's enough CW in there, but it also feels like CW grown up a little bit. And I'm not just saying that because of the actor, for CW actors who have now gotten older, but it just, it feels like kind of like what could be considered the next generation of programming to work on this kind of network. We don't know if that's the kind of direction they're going in because Nextar said a lot of different things and not all of them add up. So we don't know what the future holds for the network. But I, I agree, there have been a lot of shows in this vein that have been like super successful worldwide. How will that translate to a US-only audience on the smallest of the five big networks? That's what's going to be interesting. But I think there's enough working for this show. And it feels, because we have actors who are familiar with the CW here, it feels like CW original enough, even though it's not, to maybe draw an audience, than more of an audience than maybe like the likes of what was it last year, Devils or some of those acquisitions that came and went with that so much as kind of a, like a blip as far as audience goes. So I think this is a promising one. And I think the thing that excites me and terrifies me is that it's coming in the fall because it means they're finally starting to make some movements with their scheduling here. Mm, but it is interesting, though, because it has a 10 episode order, mm -hmm. which you know, we were talking about how that probably means it's going to fall into a Sunday slot. Um, it just feels like it wouldn't be during a weekday unless they're only going to air this during the fall and they plan to slot something else in the midseason. Um I don't feel panicked yet when it comes to the um, CW original scripted content because it just doesn't feel like it's a show that you would watch during the weekday. But I mean, we'll we'll, we'll find out. Uh, but it, I do think they're going to promote it hard because of like the quotes that were dropped when it, um, when the announcement was made. You have Brad Sports out here talking about how Chad McMurray and Scott Patterson have returned to the CW, which definitely feels like this isn't going to be an acquisition that's just dropped on the channel and there's like no promo with the actual stars on the CW. I feel like we're gonna be seeing Chad McElmurray and Scott Patterson and Morgan Khan a lot. Yeah, like you can't fumble that mm -mm. like they did with, with professionals. I'm, I'm whispering <laughs> that so nobody hears me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, that even happen. Anyway. Uh no one knows no, but i agree i feel like they're going to take full ownership of the show um and that would be maybe the right thing to do because there's something of a built-in genre fan base there i hope this works out for them i'm excited for this one yeah i um this isn't in our outline but i did want to address it because i think it's interesting how much the cw's promotion has really amped up when it comes to their shows that are coming out now. Now, granted, with 100 Days to Indie, which is uh, the docu-series about IndyCar, uh, they're partnered with Vice. So, of course, Vice is going to push it really hard. But I've been seeing 100 Days to Indie all over social media, like and different um, CW stars and a CBS star promoting the show. Well, docu-series so i mean it's interesting i as we move further and further into what cw is going to be offering i wonder if we're going to be seeing promotion that we have we're not used to seeing mm. especially with us we're running out of the, the main tv season is nearly over we're heading towards the summer so something like 100 days to indie premiering now it's interesting timing because technically most of the season's over at this point but what happens when we come to the fall? Will there be more non-scripted shows like that to like pair off with uh, like Sullivan's Crossing? Are we just going to be looking at unscripted and acquired? How many originals will be carried over? We know a lot now, but I feel like it's created a lot more questions in general. And I, I feel like that's going to be a running theme for the next couple of weeks, at least. That's true. And then Indy is tied to the actual big race 
Um, mm-hmm. So they have a six episode run and they're going to be right there at Memorial Day weekend when the big race takes place. So I do wonder come the fall, are they going to try to do an unscripted docuseries about football players, whether that's collegiate mm-hmm. or, well, it'd probably have to be collegiate. I don't think we have NFL just yet, but like um, where they run that on the CW as they're doing their season. Much to think about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a different era, but at least, you know, we're still living somewhat in the like original CW era. It's interesting because you can see it in the way that like people are writing about uh, the Arrowverse or the DC TV shows still on the CW um, and then talking about what's coming next. And everyone's like, it's a pivot, but you know, we're still living in the one that we do know. Everyone calls it the next star era, just like we do. It's kind of funny. Um, <laughs> but to like move into DC TV, we definitely have to talk about Superman and Lois episode six of the third season, which for me, it's my least favorite. I understand that. I feel like there was a lot going on here, but also not a lot going on here. I don't know if that makes sense, but I know we credited Superman and Lois early on in its run for their having a lot of emotional movement, even though a lot didn't happen in the story. Whereas this time, not a lot happened in the story and there was some emotional movement, but I'm not sure with the exception of the big twist at the end, it got the story that much further. Clark and Lois aside, because their story's always moving. Mm-hmm. There's a lot going on in this. Um, what was it you struggled with this week? And I feel like I might know some of these answers already. It is always Sarah and the Cushings. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's not like, I'm not a person who, who wants less Cushing um, in the show. I actually do enjoy um, what they're trying to do with their family drama. It's just some of the things like, so this whole arc for them was no one's paying attention to baby Sophie and all that baby wants is some attention. And this and has no been on my mind it. For weeks, because she hasn't been in any of the episodes, and I almost brought it up. I was like, "Didn't Lana have a second child? Where's Sarah's sister? <laughs> like, where did she go? Like, like?" And then it popped up, and I'm like, "Oh, thank you for answering my question." And I didn't ask the universe. <laughs> I, I, we've seen at least I have seen this story play out where like older siblings tasked with babysitting the younger sibling, younger sibling runs away older sibling loses track of younger sibling and we all learn something about ourselves like i've seen this in so many sitcoms movies and that's not even my problem with it like i don't care i think it's a good story i think it's worth telling in any kind if it fits what story you're telling and i think it fit here but did sarah learn anything that she's going to carry on with her to next week no. That's my question because when she finally does find Sophie, she's like, Oh, you scared me. And I'm like, that doesn't connect with me. I feel like you wouldn't have cared that much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like they they amp that up a little bit because she could give a crap about helping her sister make lunch or dinner or whatever it was. She's like, I don't know, open the fridge. And her sister's like, I'm way too young for this mess. And I'm <laughs> I'm on her team. But like when she they find her at the where they find her football field. I, Somewhere. Where the fairgrounds would be yeah. if they were actually in town. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. Um, and Sarah was like, oh, she hugged her and was like, I was so worried. And I'm like, you were not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. No lies were told. Mm, yeah, I agree. Totally. 100%. That was my issue with it as well. Um, no arguments for me. I feel like Sarah has been at the heart of a lot of storylines. We said we were looking forward to seeing the Sarah 
moving on from Jordan era. And I feel like every single time they've placed her in a different environment that just causes as much conflict as the Jordan and Sarah situation did. They're just all different ones now. This week it was her family dynamic with Sophie. I do appreciate that the show went meta and actually addressed the whole we're Sophie situation because fans have been asking that for about three years. But um, yeah, I didn't love how it went down because I feel like there's tension between... I knew they were going to have Lana find out about Kyle and Chrissy in this episode because they've been playing with it for weeks, but it's only become a conversation in this episode. And I feel like they were playing in the marital drama so much that that's what where Sophie had to become about, that it totally absolved Sarah of any wrongdoing. Mm -hmm. And yes, absolutely. Kyle should have absolutely been keeping an eye on his daughter when she was in his house, but he Okay, he didn't just pop out for groceries, but he could have popped out and trusted his teenage daughter and her friend to keep an eye on a child. But Sarah didn't do that because Sarah didn't care. And then because Lana wanted to argue with Kyle, logical thinking just went out the window. Like it it, it rested with Sarah to do something because this wasn't an isolated incident. Sarah didn't want to spend time with her the day before that. And it's not even the fact that she couldn't spend time with her. It's about the fact she was moody and mean to her sister in the process. And she just had no time for her. And I don't mean that as in like counting down the minutes kind of time. She had no time of day for this little girl. And then suddenly it's all Kyle's fault. Kyle has responsibility in this, but I would have liked to... Sarah took a little bit of responsibility at the end, but nobody made her feel that way. And that's an issue because for me, she should have been held accountable for her own actions and she kind of got away with that. That bothered me because I feel like it's not that you can't have a dynamic with siblings on TV where the older one just really doesn't have time for her, for their younger sibling. It's more so that like we need to at least address it. Like this wouldn't have happened if we just made the baby a sandwich. Like it just, um, and I think it's also, she had to study for a biology exam and that's like really important, truly, but we couldn't have stopped five seconds to go get a burger. She had, she had an earbud in. And then- <laughs> she had one hanging out and I'm like, you're listening to Dua Lipa and doing biology studying, but you can't <laughs> make your sister lunchable. I don't know. <laughs> I don't mean to like, I don't mean to, to dog on Sarah all the time because I do really I think it's just disappointing more so that I want a little bit more from her more better for her the actress is wonderful she Mm -hmm. gives it her all I just don't I don't think they constantly give her the character the best material and Mm -hmm. I, I told you guys about this line that truly sent me into the into the stratosphere when she said um no matter how hard I try, I keep messing everything up. Bestie, where is the trying? <laughs> <laughs> like, baby, is the trying in the room with us? <laughs> it's, it's not. I, I really wish we got to see it, though, because it would have been a um, because she got paired up with John, who she never really gets paired up with. On um, that irritated me too, because at the end it became about Jordan being like mm-hmm. a jealous puppy dog running after his brother, being like, "You go to hang out with Sarah." I know, but I love John for that moment though, because it was really petty. He only said that because his brother dogged <laughs> on his shirt. And he's like, "You know what? I got to hang out with Sarah. How about that?" <laughs> and just walks away. It was a great. Sibling. It was. It was, and I feel like Jonathan was my favorite character in this episode. And he's like, everybody needs to leave Jonathan alone. Jordan was suddenly very mean for no reason. Kyle wouldn't just give, teach him, give him the respect to just give him a t-shirt without even any name on it. Like, fair enough if you need to earn your nickname. Don't really get that, whatever. But like, he doesn't need to be known as something else. I feel like 
Jonathan was at the centre of the family drama here and that he helped solve the Cushing issues and fair play to him. But it was set up from the get-go and you could see he was going to have to prove himself. And I'm sorry, he did not need to prove himself in this situation. Yes, he did some really, really bad things last season, but we know he's not a bad person. I don't think saying the right words to Sophie meant that he should need to prove himself in the eyes of Kyle, who doesn't really know much about him in general. I just, I felt like if you're going to, if someone has to earn your respect, you need to respect them as well. And I just feel like Kyle was being a little disrespectful to him. I'm sorry. You know, what's funny about that interaction though, where he talks about generations, Kyle is a millennial. <laughs> so like he's either like a, a Gen X millennial cusper or he's like legit a millennial. So him mm-hmm. being like, your generation just wants things. I was like, that's us. Assess love. <laughs> like, you are either a cusp or a millennial. So I don't know why you're talking to a Gen Z like that, because it's the same thing. But it's just, I've never liked the gruff, um, you have to earn your place and earn your name. Um, because it's like it's just courtesy to call him by his actual name. I like I've never liked that. So like a shirt that didn't have Rusty on the back would have been just fine. Uh, and he was doing everything he was supposed to be doing. It's interesting to see this journey for John, though. I like that he's trying to, you know, figure out how he can be heroic because it's what he wants to do. I also, um, I did like his comment to Sophie about how he feels left out in his family. Because even with Lois being human, she's Lois freaking lame. So like he, even when his mom is like, you know, we, we're the two humans. We got to stick together. He's like, yeah, but mom you're like the world's best reporter. <laughs> like, it's not the same thing. I'm still trying to find myself. So I, I love that his, that they're trying to give weight to Jonathan's own heroic journey. Jordan's not doing that, but Jordan's not going to. But I do love that Lois is giving it weight. And I believe Clark is too, but Clark had a lot to do this episode emotionally. So he didn't exactly get to focus on Jonathan. He had to focus on Jordan and Lois. Can we jump to the, to the end of the episode when Clark is finally like opening up to Lois and Tyler has that big like monologue and he's <laughs> crying. My favorite performance of the episode was just Bitsy reacting to that. Like mm-hmm. that would like that's my favorite kind of react uh, acting is when you're just watching somebody react and you can see that they are in it mm-hmm. and they are feeling it. I was like, oh my god, Bitsy giving us everything. It was so good. <laughs> It was, and I feel like that was the perfect like emotional resolution to the story because Clark went on, Clark's been on a journey this season and it's only now that he's starting to talk about it. And I know you could kind of see the writing at hand when he was like, it's not for me or whatever, but I feel like that's something Clark can't would do. He wants to save everyone and he can't save people struggling with an illness because it's a very real world thing. And that's something that I love that line from Lois, that that's something he'll never have to confront unless it's kryptonite related he'll never have to confront the idea of his own mortality or getting sick or having a cold or anything as simple as that because he's not human and i feel like that played really well into the storyline with jonathan or jordan as well because what ultimately saved jordan from the kryptonite bullet was his humanity which is something again clark doesn't have to deal with so i feel like throughout that throughout the episode he kind of had he had to see the like obviously the fragility of humans but he also needed to see the beauty of humans and that they're they're willing to fight because they're weaker than superman and that they don't lose every battle but that he had to acknowledge the fear of loss in order to move on and just tyler and betsy the whole went like when they were at loggerheads clark and lois and they wouldn't like uh uh relent beautiful scenes and i i love the fact that it spilled into the storyline with jordan as well and yeah we'll get to how jordan was infuriated the most one of the more infuriating parts of the episode but i mean like 
you did understand where he was coming from because Clark was not confronting his problems and he was like ignoring them. So there was a lot of emotional heavy movement in the episode and I really appreciated all of that. Speaking of Jordan, was this the first time I can't remember that he's worn his his little Superboy mm-hmm. goggles? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they kind of spoiled it for us at the start because he walked in and covered mud and you still couldn't see it. And then at the end, we finally got to see him suited up. I don't know why it made me laugh when he was passed out and he just had his little goggles on. <laughs> <laughs> just it's made not, me laugh it's not the most super boy outfit but i mean it's logical it. it's cute it was funny to me it's the prototype it is it is we'll have the big red ass by the end of the season i my favorite thing that they let Clark do on this show is be a husband mm-hmm. um so i loved the support group that he was a part of where he's like he's like listening and he's like mm, people's stories i hear you i hear you until it got too hard like mm-hmm. when um when the leader of the group was expressing like what it means for a strong person to have to let go and like having to be the one to be to tell your spouse you you can let go it's fine you don't have to keep doing this for me that is not something that Clark wanted to confront like that's not like even a that thing for him what do you mean Lois Lane isn't going to make it through cancer she's Lois Lane I think they're what I love about um, Clark and Lois is that they're so equal in his mind like yes i'm superman but she is like my superman and you mean to tell me that like my superhero is is could possibly die he can't confront it and so i love that we were on schedule for that denial because lois got to go through her i don't want to have to stop to handle this phase and now he had to go through his toxic positivity phase where she was like this is not helpful I know you think you're being helpful, but you're not being helpful and we need to do these things. I also loved the moment in their room when she's trying to do end of life paperwork so that he knows how everything is going to be. And she's mad that she waited until she got ill, which is a common thing that people tend to have to go through where I like, I should have just done this when I was healthy. Now we got to do it when I'm not. And we're sad as we're doing it rather than it just being a reality that we all know is going to happen. Now it's a reality that is like potentially knocking at my door. And he just did not want to contend with it. We didn't, he didn't want to do wills. He didn't want to do anything like that. I was like, you need to do those things because if she signs a, um, what is it? Do not resuscitate DNR. You're going to be mad. <laughs> like, like this is something that you need to have a conversation with now, instead of when she does the paperwork and you find out later that she, she signed that. I don't think Lois is going to do that, but it's stuff that comes up. Mm-hmm. And it was very poignant and, and authentic like that because Clark is Superman. So he, and he, that conversation last week about how the pull on Lois, uh, she might feel at some point, it haunted him. And it was I, I thought that was really well done because this week he was afraid to acknowledge any possibility of illness and even the idea of Lois being prepared for an eventuality that may, really doesn't that might not happen. We know on the show it won't, but really it's a realistic possibility for her, but just because she she wasn't afraid to confront that didn't mean she was willing to give up. And I thought that was such an incredible dynamic. Like you said, Sabrina, Clark got to be a husband, but Lois got to be a, a wife and her voice was heard and she got to be a human and she got to be a, a warrior and stand up for herself because her, she needed to be heard in the situation. And we don't get an awful lot of conflict between Clark and Lois. And you say conflict, it never really raised the conflict stage, but like, it was powerful stuff, and I just wanted to appreciate the show for handling that really, really well and, and in such an authentic manner. Is this the most human story they've ever told for Superman? I would say so. I would argue that, yeah. Yeah. This is, I mean, this is my only 
experience with Superman. <laughs> it's like, I don't, I, I never imagined it would get like this real, like mm -hmm. this, like human, this, like, I imagine it would be like villains and kryptonite and larger than life stuff. But this is like, we have a superhero dealing with real life. And that's, it feels groundbreaking as someone mm -hmm. who's never watched much superhero content. <laughs> I think it really is. I know when, when the storyline first came up, we could maybe see where the beginnings of where they were going. We were like, would they actually do that? And I think a lot of people don't give the show credit because it's on a network like the CW. But like, yeah, we, you, you don't see this stuff. You rarely read about it in comic books, let alone see it played out on TV or in a movie. A Superman movie would never tell this kind of story. It wouldn't have the time to tell it in the way that Superman at Lois says. It really the idea that this show is a family drama is giving it a second life and it's allowing it to do stuff like this that your typical run-of-the-mill superhero show wouldn't be able to tell. And I think that's now a good point to bring up the twist at the end um, where we find out that Lois's friend is actually Bruno Mannheim's wife. Never did I see that coming. And I feel like if this was on a show like The Flash or whatever, when a random character was introduced to pair off with maybe the, sec or the, the other lead, not in the main storyline, You'd see they were going somewhere with this, but Superman and Lois has such an authentic way of meandering around real world stories. You're just like, oh, this is a subplot. Oh, this doesn't need to add up to anything. In the same way that was it John, uh, Candace's dad showed up a few weeks ago, and then they had a two episode arc, and we haven't seen that man since. I don't think that's going to lead I mean, to honestly anything. for the best. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but like, I just figured this was going to be an important character plot for Lois, and it still is. But I didn't think that by the end of the episode we we're going to say, oh, that's onomatopoeia. So, I mean, like, credit to Superman at Lois. It's continuing to break ground, as Reed said, and try new things and pull the wool over her eyes when we least expect it. I know. I, I mean, she probably doesn't see it as a villain love story, but I do. <laughs> like, <laughs> when I, one of the things that's going to be interesting, I think, with this reveal um, as we move further into the season is the juxtaposition and the parallels. I mean, you have two spouses with, and, and relationships where the wife is sick. You know, and the husbands would do anything, anything to fix this. Granted, we haven't seen Clark be pushed to the limit. We'll see if that actually happens this um, this season. But we're definitely seeing um, Bruno Mannheim be pushed to the limit. And he is willing to do anything. And so is Pia. Like, it's just, it will be, what will be will be. If people die, they die. Because they just both desperately want her to continue to hang on to life. Uh, and I, I think that's for this to be a family drama that works so excellently that the villains also not necessarily sympathetic, but you understand it. Like there are times when um, I don't want to spoil The Last of Us, but there's an ep the, the last episode of The Last of Us. Joel has to make a decision that is very controversial. Um, and it's like one of those things like, what would you do? How far would you mm -hmm. go for the person that you love? And Bruno's like, I would burn the world down to the ground and you're like in some ways i respect it in some like i don't want murder or anything but i get it i get how love can push you to the point of no return mm -hmm. and i think that adds a huge amount of depth because i'm pretty sure bruno Mannheim is one of the more one-dimensional characters in the comics he's just an associate of lex luther who doesn't have that much to do of course he's in charge of intergang but this adds a whole new level to of it we just thought lois was investigating intergang we never realized that 
this man would have real depth and emotion and be considered a hero in his in uh, his city and now is of course uh, have has to contend with his wife possibly dying so there's a whole lot of emotional stuff there to deal with and i mean this is the very same episode i nearly started laughing when uh, superman flew into uh, his office and yet again bruno was up obviously get out of my office i was like does this man have no more dialogue um but then by the end of the episode you're like oh i see where we're going with this and bruno is definitely the villain of the piece but He's not a villain in the original sense of the word, if you know what I mean. There's far more explanation and character development to it than that. And he's suddenly become the most interesting villain they've ever done yet. And I still don't think we know everything about him. So I can't wait to see where it goes next. I just, what a reveal. And I feel like we're going to keep saying what a villain Bruno Mannheim is. Mm-hmm. Can you believe we're almost like halfway through the season already? No. No. No, I don't know what I mean. Like we've done so much already. Where could go next? <laughs> feels like it feels like it just started. <laughs> I know. Well, perhaps yeah. if we hit this midway point, though, the almost mid- midway point, we'll get some growth for Jordan because uh, he he was not stellar this episode. Um, I mean, granted, I did like him going to go save his his uh, father, but like that whole. I beat the robot in in the Fortress of Solitude once and I can do whatever I want to do now. Or like I beat it several times and now he's mad because he got shot with lasers. As like, he's he's like, would you let up? He's like, villains are not gonna let up. That is exactly what Clark is saying. Could he be nicer about it? Sure, but villains are not nice. Like I just mm-hmm. don't that whole interaction, like if you need a break, say you need a break, but to be like, why do you keep doing that? It's like because you could die. You could die in the field if he's not there. And he can't, or he can't help you. And you're complaining because you keep getting shot by lasers. I was like, I really don't like, for instance, if you go up against Bruno Mannheim, you're not going to care that you're a kid if you're in his way. He could very mm-hmm. much kill you. Yeah. I feel like the one, the thing I love the most about the storyline is, uh, how it kind of made you see both sides of the story. Um, there's that uh, meme that goes around from the Falcon and the Winter Soldier where the Falcon says he's out of line, but he's right. I feel like this can be applied to that situation. Clark was maybe pushing it a little too far and Lois needed to talk him down. And that's exactly what she did. And he learned his lesson. However, that doesn't mean that Jordan doesn't need to learn a lesson. And we saw in the end, he was vulnerable. He was attacked and he nearly died. So Clark wasn't wrong either. So this isn't just a one one dimensional thing where you saw it all play out and Clark had to go and apologize and all that's it for the forever. Clark wasn't wrong. He wasn't necessarily right in the way he was behaving, but he wasn't wrong. And I feel like we're still going to keep seeing Jordan. He needs to learn. He's not ready to be a full-time hero yet. And I'm glad the show didn't just cram that plot into 40 minutes and have Jordan be Superboy from next week onwards. Mm. These kids, man. These kids. <laughs> I know. He's, and he, just like Sarah didn't learn the lesson, it doesn't seem like, neither did Jordan. And they were thing- perfect for each other. Because <laughs> <laughs> all Jordan was excited about was that, like, he apparently does not is not affected by kryptonite like his dad is. And I was like, do you only need to be shot once with it? They still could, I still could have killed you. All she would need is a knife. I just don't understand why we were like, yeah, I don't know. It's not the same weakness. And I was like, it's not, but it, you can still die by pointy things or bullets. <laughs> like death by sharp objects is still an option for you. So I just don't, I, I don't know. But, you know, I guess I'll let him have it. It can have the wing. <laughs> oh, him and Sarah, I feel, are going to keep riding our last nerves until the end of the season. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. I don't think... Um, I think that's it for Superman and Lois. I mean, there's the Chrissy and, and um, Kyle stuff, which, which we touched on a little bit. We're, I guess we'll see how well or unwell that plays out. 
Um, I feel like she's going to get hurt. She said she didn't want to be a side piece. And I was like, he's divorced, so it's not a side piece. You should have asked about being a rebound. Yeah, that's the word. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's like, you're not. I was like, yeah, by definition, she's not. <laughs> so I don't know what she mm-hmm. meant by that. And then he even said to her, I never thought I'd find someone so soon. And I was like, is this not potentially an issue here because it's been so soon? So I feel like they've set up Lana finding out maybe being the big obstacle here, but who knows, maybe as they go on, they'll find out that maybe it was too soon for him. Who knows? But I'm glad that's out in the open now because at least it shifts things up. They kind of were playing with it for a long time. Mm-hmm. But that click mark has so much, got, like the girl, the girl who's always the cashier, she must have all the tea. Because she was there <laughs> when Clark, <laughs> Clark was getting the pregnancy test and she's there to see Kyle and um, Lana <laughs> and Chrissy blow up. So it's just going to be interesting. But moving on to The Flash, which I think episode nine of the final season possibly is the best episode of the season. What do you think, Michael? Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, a perfect Flash episode now is not the same thing as a perfect Flash episode in season one. Yeah. So for me, it was probably a nine or an eight because the first half of it was a little slow moving. But generally, that was by far the best episode of the season so far because it felt like a Flash episode. It wasn't wasting our time. And even though there was no main storyline to contend with, paid tribute to the whole Arrowverse as a whole. Of course, the highlight was Oliver Queen coming back, but we also had Wally West back. We also had John Diggle back. We also had Captain Kramer and Chief Singh back. Like, they weren't advertised. And um, that's where Hannah went when she disappeared into the <laughs> liminal space. Um, but uh, it was just nice to see so much going on that felt like a Flash episode. Yes, there were some cringy moments at the start with the, the uh, Ca- Captain Kramer and Cecile singing, I tell you what I want, what I really, really oh, want. No. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but that aside, the minute Bloodwork walked into the uh, the Star Labs, he, there's an operator. He was the season, the first season six main villain. That's Everyone such loved a funny him. name for us. <laughs> it is. It is. It is. Um, his name, real name is Ramsey, um, and he was a doctor who tried to cure his mother, but then ended up thinking that the only way to cure people is to give them eternal life by turning them into like zombies. Oh, but, so he's like was, an evil phlebotomist. Blood yeah, work. yeah, exactly, okay. exactly. What is a phlebotomist? <laughs> They're like the people when you go to the doctor, they take your blood. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think I don't know. I don't have. A, I don't have a. I didn't go to med school, but <laughs> and he has. Uh, he has black blood. So when he puts it into people's bloodstream, he can turn them into what he calls blood brothers, and they're basically zombies who do whatever he wants. Um, and he tried to do that with Barry right before the crisis in season six. So he knows all about the crisis in the multiverse. So now that we've brought the multiverse back in this episode and finally acknowledged that after the crisis there was in fact a new multiverse that nobody ever talked about. It felt like Bloodwork was the right villain to bring back to do it. Um, and long story short, he wanted to corrupt the entire multiverse by using Kid Flash, Wally West, who could activate or access it, and Oliver Queen, who is resting in peace as the Spectre in the great Lian Yu in the sky, um, has now been uh, found out that uh, someone's trying to affect the multiverse. So yeah, a lot was going on. That's that's how Oliver came back. Um but I just feel like it probably had too much to do in just 40 minutes because you're dealing with potential. Like, that could have been a great season storyline, but like mm-hmm. it, it was a little rushed, but generally seeing Stephen and Mel back and we'll get into all of that, but yeah, easily my favorite episode of the season so far. Wait, I have questions. So Over. is it a, a different universe, Oliver Queen? No, it's the same one. Um, but he's just alive again. 
yeah, he died at the end okay. of Crisis because he became a being called the Spectre. And when the multiverse was destroyed, he had the power to rebirth a new multiverse. Naturally. Exactly. But technically now it's called <laughs> the Arrowverse, get it? The Green Arrow birthed the multiverse. <laughs> uh, but uh, he, so now he, he he's dead, basically. But the point, the, the, the deal he signed up to was that if he became the Spectre, he could live happily ever after with Felicity in the afterlife. Um, and that's what he's been doing. Uh, but when now that Ramsey is trying to corrupt the multiverse, the spe- the rule of the Spectre is that the Spectre can get involved if the multiverse is at stake. So Ramsey got so he ki- took like a he took like a field trip to like it, back to the back to reality. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> so uh, Ramsey infected Kid Flash, and Kid Flash killed Barry. Like I would, I feel like we kind of skipped over that. Barry died in this episode on his thirtieth birthday. Kid, Fl- Kid Flash killed the Flash, um, and then when Barry woke up, he was on the island that Oliver spent five years on, Leonio, and he saw Oliver there. And he was like, no, no, you're not real. But Oliver was like, no, it is me. Um, and they had a lovely hug. And Barry, Oliver was like, Barry, let go. Barry, let go. Barry, let go. Because Oliver's not a hugger. Um, and uh, then Oliver explained everything. There's a new multiverse. And uh, Ramsey's going to corrupt it. And we need to stop it. So uh, Barry was dealing with something. And I don't know what you think of that, Sabrina. Some of the like emotional baggage Barry's been dealing with. I thought if it was actually what was happening in season nine, it would have been like amazing it's not what was happening in season nine the acting was superb though mm-hmm. i will give that to them so what like he going through so he was like he just doesn't feel good enough as the hero of central city which is not the plot we've been going through for season nine at all so what what oliver ends up doing it because oliver is basically um barry's mentor um is reassure him that he's doing exactly what you know, he needs to be doing. He is being the light of his city. He is um, helping people. He He's doing um, what he set out to do. And I just feel like we already have Leader Barry. We don't need, like, I don't, that step back, that regression just didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. I would have felt better if something had happened in the previous episode that maybe he failed in a way that he hasn't failed before or he made the wrong decision and it it um, affected someone terribly. But none of that happened in the previous episode. So like for, for Barry to be like, I, I just, maybe I shouldn't be alive. <laughs> Cause that we were, suic- we had suicidal ideations for like, like a hot second. And I was like, wait, Barry, we were not in the that darkness mm-hmm. at the time. Cause the, um, the reason why Oliver can't initially bring Barry where he needs to bring him is because in order to like bring him back to reality, Barry has to want to go. But apparently there was a small part of Barry that didn't. And to be fair to the Flash as a series, Barry has always had survivor's guilt. That has been something that he has always had to deal with. And that man has always taken the opportunity to die. Like if, if there is an opportunity, he will throw himself toward it in the name of saving everybody else. And that is a part of his trauma and um, everything that he's been dealing with. And he definitely has PTSD, but that just was not where we were at the mm-hmm. time. So I was like, he's been handling his survivor's guilt though. I, I wish- that reminds me of Buffy Ooh. when she sacrificed oh, herself yeah. in season five and then they resurrected her and she's like, now why did y'all bring me back? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I I thought that was a great story in Buffet, but I feel like I completely agree with Sabrina. It just felt episodic. And I'm like, this would have been a good story for the final season of The Flash. Why are we doing it in one episode? Um, because here's a, here's an example of how out of the blue it felt. 
because it was started with Barry's 30th birthday, one of the guests was, of course, John Diggle. And uh, Diggle handed Barry, as a present, Diggle decided to gift uh, Barry with Oliver's bow, the bow and arrow that he used uh, during the crisis. And uh, Barry didn't want that because Oliver was just another one of his many friends who had died. And Diggle was like, sorry to hear about Caitlin, that must have been rough. And Barry responded, yeah, having Keon help. And I'm like, how does having a lookalike, a Daniel Panabaker lookalike help the fact that your long-term friend died at not a single person on this team, grieved her death? But sure, Barry has survivor's guilt because Caitlin died, even though not a single tear was shed over that woman. You see the disconnect here. There's no, there was no emotional aftermath, no gravity to that woman's death. And now, now nine episodes into the season, they want us to believe that they've all been tearful and crying about it, but it's been okay because we have a lookalike on the team. You what? know what would have been a nice hook if they had actually given them a grief arc for that, for um, the eight episodes, so that when you get to, like, Barry's been dreading his birthday because he'll be spending his birthday, uh, a mi- milestone birthday without one of his best friends. Mm-hmm. And especially if she was um, if she was younger than him by like a year or something. I don't know how old Caitlin is supposed to be. So then you have like, I'm turning 30 and she'll never get to turn 30. Exactly. Like, uh, but they didn't do that. Um, in fact, his birthday comes out of nowhere because I don't believe they ever mentioned it in the previous episodes that his birthday was coming. That Yeah. And the, the, the story that came up with her, we all said that we thought Barry was older than 30. The, well, it turns out Barry is older than 30. But something he did with a mad scientist last season or whatever, genetically modified his cells by giving him three extra years of life. Oh, so right. he's already turned 30. But biologically, because of that, he was given three extra years. So now is his 30th birthday, even though he's technically 31 or 32 or 33. Um, but who would elect to celebrate your 30th birthday again? Exactly. <laughs> Apparently Iris. That's the, because she threw the surprise party. makes no sense for her either. That she Because she, she, with her characterization, she'd be like, honey, you're 33. I'm going to put a 33 on this wall and we're going to have some nice cake. I don't think she'd indulge <laughs> that you got three extra years. So we're going to be 30 for again. Yeah. Exactly. Like if you this is just like TV continuing to push the agenda that thirty is an enormous deal. Like we grew Mm -hmm. up with that narrative in every show. Like there was an episode of Friends where they all turned thirty and they're all feeling some kind of way about it. Like stop with the thirty propaganda. Can someone just turn thirty three and feel weird about it? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And it's really true. Like if that man lives to be one hundred and three. He's going to live to be 103. He's not going to be running around saying, I'm technically 100, but I've been on this earth for 103 years. So I don't understand why we needed to celebrate his 30th birthday. I mean, I get it. It was a nice plot. I suppose we should stop criticizing it since it's our favorite episode of the season right now. Um, but <laughs> We contain multitudes. We can, we can multitask. <laughs> yes, we can do that. I Okay, so, but to be fair to it, um, I well no, I have one more slanderous thing. Um, we we couldn't let Wally get out of the the series without one more round of trauma. <laughs> like it had to be like we had to bring um what happened with his mom back in order to like that be the reason why blood work could um could take hold of him and take control of him. Read for some background. The Wests are are messy. So um, Wally and Iris have the same mom, so they both have the same parents, but uh. Joe had told Iris that her mom had died when really her mom had left. Uh, and I guess he'd kind of thrown her out. She was a drug addict. Uh, and when she left, 
At the time, she didn't know that she was pregnant with Wally. And she never told them. She never told Joe that he had a son. And so uh, Wally comes back grown. And that's when, like, you meet him. And so some of Wally's trauma is, I believe, wrapped in his mother's addiction. Right, Michael? And then Mm -hmm. her death later on from cancer. Did she have cancer? I can't remember. I think it was... I could be wrong. I think it was supposed to be, was it McGregor syndrome, which is obviously comic book fans will know is the, sy- the syndrome that Mr. Freeze's wife is diagnosed with. So I think that's what it's supposed to be. I'm pretty sure the internet went into meltdown when they heard that. Okay. Well, yeah, so she passed away and Wally, Wally has a lot of trauma around that. And the, the, um, the hook for the plot is that Barry poked a hole in Wally's bubble when he was talking about how he you know, he's trying to find enlightenment. And Barry was like, I thought the whole reason you went to Tibet was that you were trying to find a way to heal from your past. But what do you mean you left your past behind? And like, Barry sprinkled some truth on there and Wally did not like it. So then we ended up being um, a a minion for blood work because Wally felt unsupported by his family because um, he feels like Barry took his family from him because he's like, you get to hang out with my dad. And then did he say, what did he say about Iris? He said something about Iris. Did she catch strays? She did. Well, it's it's more so about Barry's relationship with Iris. But I was like, Barry is romantically involved with your sister. You can't do those things. That's not a thing that you would be doing. Yeah, <laughs> that's the issue when they try to say that Barry stole Wally's life. I'm like, but did he though? Um yeah, I had issues with that. I feel like we needed to unpack trauma for Wally for years, but obviously he wasn't on the show, so we couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to have him be enlightened off screen, let him be enlightened off screen and don't bring him back and finally deal with the trauma in one 40-minute episode in which that man was probably on screens for 20 minutes. It felt a little rushed for me. They had him use an awful lot of buzzwords like enlightenment or whatever. So we'd be like, yes, Wally's clever. Wally's knowledgeable. Wally knows all of this. And then five minutes later, we can actually say, oh, no, this is the Wally we've always knew. He had all this trauma underneath that. And then when Barry picked holes in it, he didn't like that. Yeah, I see what they were doing, but I feel like they didn't have the time to tell the story the way they wanted to tell it. Mm -hmm. Sure. That that is the case, but it's a great episode. I think what's it shines with um with Barry and Oliver, um Stephen Amell and Grant Gustin's chemistry has always been amazing, and it was nice to see them paired up again. Um, I wanted to give you space to have like a whole Arrow thing, Michael, because I saw your tweets, and I also know that like the episode was moving for you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I mean, when I heard the Arrow theme, when uh, Stephen Amell showed up instant goosebumps i forgot how much i missed that theme that theme and like the arrowverse shows don't use their classic themes anymore so hearing that was incredible and then i believe when um wally and barry were speeding through the city we heard the original flash theme as well which we never hear anymore so it was such a nostalgic episode which was lovely um the see the the reunion moment between oliver and diggle was so beautiful i have to say i've i like them together as besties but their friendship was not one of the big parts of the show that I often connected with, but the fact that Diggle never got to say goodbye to Oliver when he sacrificed himself, and we're still telling that story three years later, felt so authentic. So seeing Diggle save Oliver from blood work and then the two of them share that hug, oh, that was so beautiful. And um, then uh, at the end, at the end, this was my favorite part, when uh, Barry's questioning over whether he's a hero or not, he's, he asked Oliver because Oliver's all-seeing, all-powerful and all-knowledgeable. He said, am I doing enough? Um, Oliver said to him, well, are you watching over your city like a guardian angel? Are you saving people in a flash? 
which is the exact dialogue Oliver said to Barry in the very first episode of The Flash when he gave him the name The Flash. Just seeing um, Stephen Amell get to say those lines again and Barry finally understand that he is the hero he was always meant to be. And then when Oliver's eyes glowed, uh, glowed green and said, that lightning bolt chose you, which is also the same dialogue he said, because Oliver just said that as a friend in season one. Now he's saying it as the all-powerful specter that knows that as a fact, that the lightning bolt chose Barry. That reminded me of what this universe and what these shows are capable of. I got goosebumps. I did get a little teary at it because that was the most the Flash and the Arrowverse has felt like the Flash and the Arrowverse in such a long time. And it was a beautiful way to end the Oliver and Barry chapter of the Flash. And it was a beautiful payoff and a beautiful tribute to Arrow itself. And that is what made it my favorite episode of the season. I, I just the whole thing I watched with goosebumps and a few tears here and there. Love this show, love this universe, and I couldn't have asked for anything better from their union. It's applause worthy. They did mm-hmm. what they needed to do. Like, definitely have qualms about it, but like they, they really <laughs> did. Like for season nine, it's a quality episode. Mm-hmm. And Reed, you might be getting better reviews from us that like in terms of them not being bitter um as we move forward, because the trailer for the next episode looks like it's going to be giving us some content i mean we only have four episodes left so mm-hmm. the, the, the interval is over we're finally going to start the final storyline i mean i, I hope it's good for you guys for the last four weeks <laughs> i mean should they be starting the season four episodes before it ends no but i'll take it if we're gonna if we're gonna end on a high note yeah we keep those positive vibes. This was a good start. I hope it can continue. Oh, I hope so too. But uh, s- switching to Horseshoe Bay with um, episode 10 of the third season, which as a park and Nancy shipper, I ate, <laughs> <laughs> like, I ate the biggest meal. Um, and I was so happy about it. But it was also very nice heavy. Um, mm-hmm. I felt really bad for Ace, not just because he was stuck in a liminal space, but also because he was stuck in liminal space and he had to watch Nancy, like, connect with another man, which is just not what you want to do when you were going to tell her how you felt. But, you know, that said, the window was closing. She had already warned him. So. I loved episode 10. And before I get into it, I just have to tell everybody, I did watch episode nine. Don't yes. worry, I didn't <laughs> skip it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I really this is I think one of my favorite episodes of the season. Mm. Like it just mm-hmm. had energy. I know we were privately kind of like venting about the season. I won't um, you know, expose us here. But I feel like <laughs> this episode gave me everything that I kind of wanted, something that I was missing. It also made me miss Dynasty. Like that candle lighting mm-hmm. gala, I was like, this is the Carrington Manor. It's over the top. I don't understand <laughs> what the theme is, <laughs> but everyone's in their formal wear and I'm in it. And before we get into plot, speaking of the formal wear, they all looked incredible. Like mm-hmm. I, just jaw dropper one after the next. Like that jacket that Tunji had on. Mm-hmm. Nice. Hello, Bridgerton. Now I'm excited to watch Queen Charlotte. <laughs> He's like, I have money and I'm going to spend it. No, we did. <laughs> I, know, I, I agree. It was a wonderful. Uh, I love ep- episodes where everyone gets together and dresses up. And I feel like they always thrive the best when they have a like, real serious intention filled story leading up to them. And there was so much tension going into that. 
obviously the candlelight. I knew Bass's plan was going to go horribly wrong and it went horribly wrong. I mean, they got where they needed to in the end, but it went horribly wrong. And it's like, why are we doing this? Like, you're, you're, this is like, she's a small scale witch. Bess is growing, absolutely, but small scale witch and basically trying to take on the Scarlet Witch. You shouldn't do this. Uh, Temperance will see through it and Temperance saw through it instantly. Um, but yeah, and then the fact that Ace had to sit and watch. I love, by the way, the like uh, flashes between dimensions, the way the mm -hmm. camera would quickly zoom in and then suddenly you'd see Ace and Hannah in the luminal space and then quickly zoom out and you'd see what was going on. Very well shot episode as well. I did love the fact, I think the building they were in, I've seen that used in many CW shows before. It was a bank in the pilot of The Flash and it was a bank in Mexico in an episode of Superman at Lois. So they, they, they're getting the reuse out of that, that uh, set. But um, it, just, it, was, it was a great set up and i feel like this the tension uh, the tension between nancy and park um i feel like it was the perfect payoff for that um of, and then not to jump ahead but nancy was worried how much ace was watching her and he was like no i just seen you in the and uh, on the dance floor but yeah so much going on in this episode and i feel like that scene kind of summed it all up but yeah mm -hmm. what an episode and I think they put a clock on it too for mm -hmm. um, the way hannah and ace have to get out of the liminal space uh, and because it adds tension that like it up the ante of the tension like obviously we knew that he was not going to just disappear into ether that was scared for Hannah I don't you know because your main character can stay but your recurring character she might get lost in little space mm -hmm. but uh, I just felt like I like the supernatural storytelling in this episode a lot especially with the how um touching things and trying to get people in the real world to figure out you're doing something is exhausting um, and that it, like there's a cost to everything. I love when things have a cost because I hate when you can just do supernatural things and there's like nothing, nothing to it. I, not that I haven't enjoyed that in shows, but I feel like it's better when there's a weight to it and there's a, there's a clock. And I there's a lot of emotional work going on with Ace and how he he's like, trust me, I am connected to Nancy. I can make sure we get out of this space. He was really, really trying to trust in his bond. And I like that it kind of wavers just a bit. Um, in the like he he doesn't give up on her, but like that last ditch effort of putting his hand on her shoulder to try to get like the Morse code thing going. Excellent choice of emotion right there by the writers. Mm -hmm. They really did build it up very well. I, I do love it when there's a clock on it and they spend the whole day doing nothing because we did not get much of Nancy or Ace and Hannah in the watching Nancy. We got one scene of them. Ace tried something that was remotely successful and they never seen them after that. And I'm like, wait, you left it until you only had two hours. What were you doing the whole day? Um, but then they really did kick into gear at the party. Um, and you really did feel for Ace because both the fact that his, ten or his energy was physically wavering because of how much he was trying but he did feel a little defeated just because of uh, he, he could sense the tension between Nancy and Park. And uh, it was a last ditch attempt. And Hannah said it was how easier to use technology because you can manipulate it and play with it in a way that you might not be able to connect with a human. But they, they, they gave us Ernest in the end, like he was able to connect with Nancy. And that was such a powerful scene, the fact that she could feel him. And the, like, again, the quick cut in and the quick cut out and the quick cut in and the quick cut out between between the dimensions. Perfect payoff. I thought we were going to be stuck. Ace was going to be stuck in there for an episode or two longer. I'm glad it didn't last that long, but it was worth it alone just for that scene because that was some powerful stuff. I love that he never doubted their connection and he never doubted Nancy I think more importantly mm -hmm. he knew that he could get through to her some way but like I had to I just gotta come for our girl Hannah for a minute 
because she was like, I've been trying for weeks and nothing's worked. And it's like you knocked on Nancy's door every night at the same time stuff, <laughs> and you threw stuff at Ace. How are they supposed to connect the dots to that, babe? <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> like Ace becomes enters his liminal space and he's like, I've got a concrete plan to get us out. And she's like, I've tried everything. No, you didn't. And I understand you were probably exhausted, but like I just had to come for my girl Hannah. Because I was like, you knocking on the door. What was Nancy supposed to get from that? <laughs> no, the only thing that actually is like remotely close is the radio. That mm-hmm. was a really good touch for her. Other than that, it, there wasn't a single thing that was going to... Because there's too much supernatural stuff happening. And they had already... I feel like she would have heard them have written her off. They'd mm-hmm. always like, oh, she hopped down. She's the reason why the, um, the door is open. She can't be trusted. So like, they wouldn't be looking for you. They didn't even think that you were still here. I still can't believe that all of this temperance stuff only supposed to have happened over a period of a few weeks. Like there's been so much going down. And then didn't they say on that episode that Hannah's only been missing for what? Like, was it two weeks? Was it? It was two weeks, yeah. I'm like, how did you fit all those adventures into two weeks? Um, Yeah. So temperance has only been in their lives for two weeks. Wow. We're really going. Nancy and Park have only gotten to know each other over the last two weeks. Amanda Bobsey's gone out of our lives within the last two weeks. (laughs) That's why time and Nancy Drew to me is always so funny because I feel like we've been there for months and they're like, actually, it's been like, it hasn't even been a month. And I'm like, yeah, really? <laughs> okay. And I, I feel that way too because of um, the way Bess was so sure Nancy wouldn't believe her unless she had concrete evidence. Mm. I'm like, if she's only known her for 14 days, why would you need con like um, like the letters? You've been her friend for months. She can just trust your word. Yeah, we laughed about that last week when we said, why would she need photographic evidence? And then they actually turned it into a plot this week. I'm like, this is Nancy Drew. She doesn't need evidence to be suspicious of someone. I just, I, I, and she wasn't, I know she got over her fear of temperance, but I don't feel that she was connected to her. These two are not besties. She watched this, this woman give this man a stroke once. Um, I don't feel like it would have taken that much to push her back over the edge to suspicion. So I don't buy that almighty witchy Bess would need physical proof to put Nancy back on that trail, especially mm-hmm. since it's coming from someone like Bess who was close to temperance, didn't buy that in the side us. Mm, no, but before we like, cause we're moving into episode 11 a little mm-hmm. bit before we move over there. I just, Nancy and Park, I mean, they have my heart. I know they're not lasting <laughs> because I was already like spoiled for like the end of season three. Um, because Nays fans, y'all give sets, talented y'all are artists, and I've seen some of the things. Didn't mean to, they just pop up on the timeline sometimes. Um, but I do enjoy them because they are quite similar, but they add they like they contrast in that he's so logical in a way that she isn't, that sometimes mm-hmm. she just isn't aware of how he feels about her. And that first kiss attempt was hilarious. Like Nancy's always used to just going for it, except for with Ace, which is interesting. But she's used to just going for it. Um, and he was he backed up and she's like, she was embarrassed. And I was like, girl, do we have to leave? I feel like we should leave for like at least a few hours. Yeah, he's got her out of character, like the way that she reacted next to that copier. And then when she had the truth serum and she was like, I wonder if he looks that good without clothes. And she like caught herself. That was really <laughs> funny too, the way that Kennedy acted that. Um, but I, have we ever seen Nancy like this down bad? You know, not not since that um lust spell. Yeah, that's what I was <laughs> like, gonna say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like, that that's it. She's always so logical where she wasn't here and it was nice to say. It does really complicate things for me because like 
obviously I am favorable to to nace um although like you know me i'm not like that hardcore in my shipping like i'll go where the story goes but like once they like really backed up into the nancy park stuff i'm like so we're like really in the midst of this and we have you know two more episodes to go for nancy to like to reassess like her emotions and feelings i don't know it just seems like a lot to to do since they we really are in the center of the the park mm -hmm. scenario like it, a lot just ha there's a lot of movement on the board and yeah. ace is a little behind and not that it's a race but like when you're trying to see the like the story pieces and how they come together it's like oh we there's a lot more work to do still to get to nancy and ace mm. They they just made so much movement with Nancy and Park. Like there was some heat in that coat closet. There was some, there, you know, there's a lot going on. <laughs> <laughs> they had a gossip girl moment. I was like, okay, Nate and Serena, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> and so, like when she like when that happened, and she's very much wrapped up in um, Park and her feelings for Park. When you get to um, episode eleven, I'm just gonna skip right to the end when um, Ace tells. Nancy his feelings and like I get it because she's been before she was suppressing those feelings and then she wanted to tell them to him and then that just didn't work out for her because he was leaving with Amanda I, um her being stock still and just staring after him after he was like yeah I have feelings for you and like Ryan interrupts it and then he just leaves and she can't even pay attention to what Ryan is talking about mm -hmm. I was like, see, I was like, Park was in the lead, but now Kennedy's <laughs> acting as this me like, Nancy, you're being very compelling right now. Like, Park who at this moment? Um, it's it, it's giving like when Park was talking to her and she got a, a text from Ace and then she just was not responding the way she had been to Park, um, which is interesting. I just don't know if they, like the writing, what's pulling this off is Kennedy's acting because I think if, and um, the uh, chemistry between Nancy and Ace, because I feel like the if the fire that is Park and Nancy just would not be, you wouldn't be able to do Nace and them at the same time and make it be realistic. The Kennedy is giving it her all, and so I feel like yeah, she can have fiery, fiery feelings for Park, but at the same time be like deeply in love with Ace, so that the connection with Park is not lessening because it's definitely still there, but. Um, not as important if that makes sense like she it, it'd be easy for her to put it up on the shelf if ace was like no hood's bar i want to be in a relationship with you yeah i i had to really sit with the ending of 11 and i'm still kind of unpacking it because i'm like what is nancy feeling in that moment because i i mean i really don't know what she's feeling because before that conversation all she knows is she's you know she's in this with park whatever that means like that's where her where she's at and then she obviously did have these feelings for ace because didn't someone talk to her about it was it george mm -hmm. like yeah george is like oh you like ace and she's like what and george is like stop it's me <laughs> <laughs> um but like she does have those feelings but like when he vocalizes them finally and she's just watching after him just like stunned i'm like is the shock coming from the surprise that one, he feels the same way, two, that he vocalized it, three, that you are currently, I don't want to say committed, but like you're exploring. You're, yeah, you're elsewhere romantically, sexually, 
you're elsewhere. Like you've been exploring other things and now you have this other scenario, you know, on your desk or is it all the above? Like I I'm interested to know like what the motivation was for that reaction because it not that it didn't work for me i just i had to sit with it a little bit longer because it wasn't immediately apparent and i do like that i appreciate that it's just that it's not like whacking me over the head with like her running after him or like her she did say i don't know what to say which mm -hmm. i feel like you had some things to say you just couldn't you know you didn't have one that fit the moment um so i don't know i'm really i want to know what she felt in that moment and why she felt like she didn't know how to respond. Mm -hmm. I think that also goes back to, we always said when we do two parters, it feels like, or two episodes, it feels like a two parter. And this one was the same. Cause I think it was the start of episode 10. Was it when Nancy and George had that conversation about uh, S um, and you could see Nancy was kind of struggling with it because she did, she couldn't even finish the sentences. And then when George finished them far, Nancy responded and like, come on, as in like, what are we 12 kind of way? Because uh, George was all excited about the fact that she liked S. But I feel like Nancy has, Nancy knows it's there, but hasn't confronted it. And I feel like it goes back to that thing we talked about the other day about how the best way to hide something from a detective is right in front of their nose. She knows it's there but she just now hasn't really processed it. And I think she'd started to process it and get excited about the fact of it when she went to see Ace that night. She had time to think about that, even though she didn't know what she was getting into. And then when it was taken away from her, she felt so like stripped of something she was excited for. And then in between that, again, time moves differently on Nancy Drew. Parks showed up. She's got this like explosive uh, romance with him that feels like it almost came out of nowhere for her because again, it's only two weeks old. And now Ace has confronted her with it again, which I think she kind of put that in a box slightly so that she could focus on Park and has just taken her out of, out of completely out of left field. So I feel like she's confused at the moment and doesn't know what to do with it. Of course, we know she feels the same way. I love that moment with George where she was like, oh, I mean, what? Because George <laughs> seen it coming all along. Um, but like. I just feel like Nancy needs time to process it. And I like the fact that even when Ryan came in, I say sometimes I don't listen to the dialogue in the show. Nancy was not listening to the dialogue in the show when uh, Ryan came in and started talking to her. I like the fact a lot of shows would just drop the romance thing and let Nancy go back to being Nancy Joe for that final moment. But not once did it break on Kennedy's face. She kept kept in that moment and kept on focused on the door that S just left her right to the end. So yeah, I just feel like they made us wait for that moment and it was an incredible payoff. We're not there yet. And I wasn't disappointed that she didn't respond the same way right away. I think it was such a genuine, authentic reaction for someone who usually has all the answers not to have an, the answer right away in this situation. Yeah, but you know what's interesting about this series? They love a low-key love triangle. I feel like there's <laughs> one in every season, like for Nancy, right? So you have season one, um, it's Nancy and Nick together. But there's like Owen things going on. Um, and then we're still, did Nancy and Nick break up in season one? They did. Then mm -hmm. we have Nancy feeling weird about um, about Fanson. And like, that's a low key thing going on. And But then she gets with Gil in season three. And there's a low key thing going on there because of Ace. It's like, we're always like, there's always a triangle going on in some capacity on this show. So I feel like that's how they always balance the, Nancy's emotions she's very much as a person who can live in a space where she has deep feelings for somebody else but can't have a flirtation with another person um 
Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, I wouldn't describe her relationship with Park in um, as a flirtation at this point. It was previously, which is so interesting about that text because it was easy to be like excited about Ace. Um, and, but they are definitely past flirtation now. So like for Ace to be like, I have feelings. Well, now we have an issue. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. what do I do? Like, obviously the answer is going to be Ace. We all know this, but I do um, in these last few episodes, I'm curious to see how we get there, like how she's able to process, especially when so much is going on. Like we have temperance things um, afoot. Um, She's still like my least favorite, Um, but the plot is getting a little bit more interesting. Uh, We removed the lover's pact thing this in episode 11, and they made it about like Charity trying to split her soul so her mom couldn't have it, so her mom couldn't unlock something. Um, and I'm I lost the thread to that plot, if I'm honest. But mm. it seems like it's gonna it's more interesting than what they've been doing with temperance. Yeah, I feel like this story, a lot of it's gone over my head. I said that last week. I do try to keep up, but they keep churning out a lot of names, and I'm like, wait, who's this person again? Um, I it's just there's an awful lot going on in it. Mm. I like temperance as a character. But the big twist being that she was the villain all along is not that surprising to me because we kind of knew that was coming. I, I Maybe it's just because we have such high expectations with Nancy and that the show always subverts her expectations. I feel like this one was really predictable. Maybe there's still going to be another twist towards the end, but changing the actress who plays Temperance does not mean we've changed the story. It just it feels very predictable from the offset. Mm-hmm. I hope there's more to it than that, and I hope... It has a good payoff. I still, I have faith that the show will deliver on that front, but Temperance isn't interesting to me because she's exactly what we thought she was going to be and giving us the story in the middle where she might not be that only to reveal that she is didn't really do it for me, if that makes sense. Yeah. So wait, let's walk through this because I want to try to see if I understand it. Um, So the, what's the guy with the claws and the hat and the the dog? Copperhead. Copperhead. So the people that he's killing in town are people who are descendants of charity. So they have like a piece of her soul. So they're descendants of the people who were on the battlefield that her that Beckett put her soul into. Okay, so she they have a part of her mm-hmm. soul. And Temperance wants those parts. But the Copperhead is trying to kill them before Temperance gets to them. Mm-hmm. so in 11 they try to save that guy from the jury mm-hmm. so that he doesn't die but also so temperance doesn't get his the piece of charity's soul mm-hmm. but that didn't work out right that's mm-hmm. where we're at yeah so but does, does temperance need every part of it or does she only need one to do what she wants to do it's every right mm-hmm. i think so. they're all this is the last one, right? All the other ones were killed by the Copperhead. Is, has there been two deaths or three deaths so far? I don't remember. Someone tell us in the comments. I think <laughs> there's, it's two. There's two. There's... So two more need to happen. Is that right? Yes. But if is those people died, Tempran... They move. The piece moves to the next person in the line. That was what they figured oh, out um, oh, in, there we in episode okay. 11. So that's why um, when Jake died, they were like, where is the soul piece now? And it ended up being in Lev. The, the drawer and so if he were to die then the piece would move again it's they they wanted to guess the piece to be able to move through ancestry so that like it would always be difficult for temperance to get the pieces of her daughter's soul 
because if, if but then if temperance that... just got to live right yes mm-hmm. so mess got it mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we got there in the end I, know, I felt like I was I felt like I was following but I'm like am I following or is, am I making things up <laughs> no no I feel like the lot was the episode 11 I think did a better job explaining it than a lot of the season is maybe it's just because we're watching it apart but like I remembered who Jack was and then who the other person who was whereas uh, the uh, last the last few episodes they'd be spitting out names and I'm like nope don't remember who this person is why is there a battlefield? What happened here? Um, but now I, I think we've uh, find, the, find the thread again. The question is, is Temperance going to kill Lev or does she have a different way of extracting the soul? Because if uh, the Copperhead's going off, killing these people in the hopes that he can find... The, does the Copperhead want to be reunited or does he want to keep the soul away from Temperance? Keep Would the soul she... away from Temperance, yeah. I think. That's why like the, the whole, they locked her out, they hid the soul pieces and yeah that's yeah <laughs> he doesn't want to bring her back he wants temperance to mind her business which they've inexplicably invited temperance to mind everybody's business once they brought her back to <laughs> <laughs> well and then to answer your question michael though um she's gonna kill love but like it's uh they mentioned the soul splitter again so i think mm. she i mean because best didn't want to use it because she lost her debt. So she's explaining that she can't keep both souls. One soul's going to have to go. Uh, Temperance doesn't have an issue with that. Like, Lev is just going to die. And she's going to take her her daughter's soul out. Um, and also there was a tarot. What is the tarot card about sacrifice? Who delivered that? Oh, I forgot. Temperance delivered it herself. Uh, she put it yeah. in the box, right? That Ryan brings into the um, into Nancy's house. Well, their house. And he's trying to explain it to her, but she's not listening. Um, but Temperance is the one who bought all the. Did she buy everything of the Hudsons? Because they put it up for I auction. Think so, maybe. I remember that part. <laughs> yeah, so they, they were auctioning off um, items mm-hmm. because the Hudsons are no longer rich, uh, and they obviously Ryan doesn't need all those things. So, like Nancy came over when he asked her to, so that they could pick through which items they might want. I don't know if Cecilia's bracelet is going to have some significance, but he hands it. He gives her. He gives Nancy the box, and she opens it. And her her grandmother's very thick, very heavy gold bracelet is there. It also doesn't look like a piece that Cecilia would have worn. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it just makes me feel like it has significance in some in some way. Um, but yeah, the plot was was interesting. I did. I don't care for Temperance, but I, I do want to see where this this plot is going. Um, there were small character beats too, though. This episode. Um, there's also more nice things. I'm not couch that for a moment. Before I forget, um, to circle back to episode ten. Did you guys catch the the Swift reference? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it was nice. The whole time that nice. before the reference even came, I was like, oh, this is giving me Tom Swift. And then he was like, my competitor, Swift Enterprises. And I was like, yeah, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. It was great. I really wish they had gotten to be able to do an episode together. That would have been, um, mm-hmm. Tom should have been Tom at Swift. this candle lighting party. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It would have been so great in it. That is and- like his, his, that's his world. Mm-hmm. Opulence. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh wait I got distracted because now I have an episode 10 thing and it is a nice thing when um, Nancy turns around and Ace is like right there and she hugs him that was a great small moment mm-hmm. between the two of them I really enjoyed it I, there was a lot of nice nice 
content um, in these two episodes. Moving away from these, though, because I realized we left Branson in the dust. Um, <laughs> they are okay i'm just gonna keep it 100 they're annoying and i just <laughs> i'm kind of glad that we're they're separated right now because it has given them both an opportunity to shine as individuals um and i i just really didn't like i mean i loved actually the truth part the truth serum thing that was going on in, in episode 10 i felt like it gave everybody an opportunity to be honest because literally they could i felt like not. the truth was like extreme mm-hmm like a lot of it was like there's truth in there but you said it in a way that i feel like is dramatic like the mm-hmm. thing that ryan said to nancy yeah. i was like whoa low blow like that is mm-hmm. wow and then i feel like when nick and george were having their fight there was truth in what um george said about like you wanted to save me that's true but then i don't remember what else she said but i was like you took it too far for me. Like, it doesn't work anymore for me in this argument. Like, you had me with the, you wanted to save me because Nick does definitely have that kind of, it's not as extreme as like Archie Andrews, his like savior, like complex, his Superman complex. Nick just, you know, he, I remember I talked to you guys about like how each of the Drew crew is like love languages and (laughs) his, Nick's love language is just like being there for people and like, you know, is it what did I make him acts of service? I don't you remember. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, but that's he like he, you know, that's part of his his you know, his character is like he not I don't want to make it sound like it's like a toxic way of like wanting to save people, but like, you know, he's that figure. He wants to be that figure. I've always called him like the dad. Like that's <laughs> kind of like what he is. But what did she, what else did she say? George she made went, it toxic because she said yeah, she he, went to like the trauma thing yes. and like and Nick had to look on his face and I was like, yeah, I'm with you on that one. She went a little too far. And I feel like we could have dialed that back. We did a little too much <laughs> in that <laughs> truth telling. She said you wanted to be with me because you wanted to save me because you couldn't save yourself or something. Um, and it was very like, oh, we're not coming back from that one. We already mm-hmm. weren't coming back from that because the way that he enters that mm-hmm. conversation is she's talking to Bess and she's um, concerned that the only reason why she and Nick are still together is um, because she's never had a good guy before. And perhaps they're not actually soulmates. Perhaps it's just that she, ha- this is the first time she's had a healthy relationship and she's never known what that looks like. And she's trying to lock it down. And I was like, that's a real fear to have. I don't know if we should have it at the gala that he's attending. (laughs) You know how many times I had to rewind that because I could, it came right after Nancy was like, I wonder if he looks that good with his clothes off. And I was like, how did we get to Nancy being thirsty for Park to George spilling her guts and having a, he's right behind me as any moment. Like (laughs) (laughs) I rewound it like four times and be like, how did we get there? Why did she say that? Why was it important that Nick overheard that? Like I had to, there there were a lot of Nick and George moments that I had to like watch a couple times to, to let them sink in and to, mm-hmm. to understand why they're happening. Cause I don't, I'm not on board with the breakup. Like, I feel like something that George said, I don't know if it was 10 or 11. She was like, I want to grow beside you, but I want to, you know, do other things. And I'm like, if you want to grow beside him and you love him, I don't understand. Like you didn't have to get married. You can be together and also Go be, go work with Carson if that's what's going to bring you joy. Go to law school. But I don't understand why you have to blow up every aspect of your life. 
mm-hmm. stop working at the claw if you don't want to do that anymore and work with Nick. Like, I don't know. Sometimes these like breakup things, I feel like they just happen because they're like, oh, we need to break them up. We're bored. And I'm like, I feel like it could still be compelling if they didn't get married, weren't engaged, still together, but wanted to explore other aspects. Because I just, they talked about like, he was like, you want to date other people? I think this was the truth serum fight. And she was like, I don't know, maybe. And I'm like, I like, when do you guys have time to go like date people when you have temperance and copperheads and there's just a lot on the burners and I don't see you going on Tinder to go mm-hmm. on dates at Jake's cafe. Like, it's just, <laughs> I don't know. It took a lot for me to, I feel not to, I feel bad um, saying stuff like this about the show. Cause I love it, but I don't know. They just aggravate me, this couple, because mm-hmm. I, I don't fully see the vision yet, I guess. Yeah. With them, I'm totally on board with that. I agree. I said last week that I was happy about the fact that they didn't go the whole, we're not getting married so let's break up route and then that's exactly what they went and did this week uh, we said last week how they're hitting every predictable uh what's our trope with them and there's another one and two weeks people this has all <laughs> happened within two weeks <laughs> um, two weeks ago george was dying Within those two weeks, probably 24 hours beforehand, she was saved via the soul splitter. And then Nick disappeared for two days. Okay, so 72 hours. And now, now they're not getting married after deciding that within a 24-hour period. And now 24 hours later, they decided they don't want to be together. And I'm like, I get that all those thoughts are swirling around in your head from time to time, but at least sit in the moment for a little bit longer to see how you really feel everyone's emotions right now is influenced by everything that's happening in horseshoe bay and these two are just going in whatever direction their emotion takes them this week and i said to use the other day that it feels like oh what are nick and george getting up to this week they're they're writing is so episode specific at this point and like wait that doesn't gel with what we learned beforehand and it's really bothering me um and i agree that the truth serum thing was very specific because I get that George wants to grow beside Nick and that they don't want to entangle each other. But then they have started having an argument about seeing other people, which is only a hypothetical possibility of a much bigger conversation. They never actually had the bigger conversation. And I feel like that we're just going around in circles with them and they're doing everything the predictable relationship goes through, but meandering along the way. So it doesn't look like it. And I think it's kind of backwards too, because I think Georgia's storyline in episode 11, where she's helping Carson, some, one of my favorite things I've ever seen mm-hmm. George do in the show is seeing her have, like, to paraphrase from her, have agency over, like, her, her life, her exploring new parts of herself that she hasn't been able to explore because, you know, she had a French ghost inside of her. But I feel like have maybe some doubts about getting married and, like, slow it down like right now George is lost and that's fine you can be lost but I feel like I would have much rather had seen her arrive at this place where she's like oh maybe my dream of becoming a lawyer or working in this space is more attainable than I had believed and that can be like the the triggering event to where she's like questioning the rest of her life whereas like everything blew up and she's like questioning everything about her life. And she gets to this point where she feels reinvigorated in her identity, where she's like, oh, there's this new part of myself that I haven't really tapped into. Here's the new possibilities. It just, I to me, 
it just feels a little backwards. I think I don't know. I I don't I don't think it needed to be as dire as it was with Nick and George. I think we could have slowed it down a little bit to get to her on the jury or not on the jury, but like helping do legal work with Carson and and taking stock of her life and what she wants. I think that to me would be a more compelling character arc than what has happened. But that's just me. I feel the same. And we'll never know. We'll never know. We won't. But I just, to enter this, I thought, even though, you know, I'm sorry, Nick, the thought about it being like, I'm in a healthier place. And I love Nick. I really, really love Nick. But should I be still happy in another relationship? Like, that is a, a, a thought that like I was like, oh explore it like she doesn't have to be in another relationship but I wish it wasn't just oh they broke up and now next episode I feel empty I'm emptier than I've ever been um and you know she's regretting that line of thought but like it's it's actually an intriguing one because you have not she's never really been in a healthier place than where she is now and so this idea that like maybe I was rushing things with Nick maybe I could be in a healthy relationship with somebody else maybe this I shouldn't put all my eggs in this one basket when I'm like one um is it like a fine thought just like it's fine that if she was all ready to be with nick then she could do that too but i just i like that like um they gave george a moment to be like i'm doing great like i'm doing great and possibly i could do great doing other things and maybe i shouldn't you know just tie myself to nick because nick is ready uh she's not and i think that is to explore that more would have been more interesting than an instant regret and maybe they are going to do that i loved her basically being carson's um law clerk and running around town and doing things and i loved that um nick you know ended up on the jury duty for supernatural reasons and actually became integral to keeping that teen out of jail Mm-hmm. like an emotional speech Tunji was acting it was, oh, amazing. It was amazing it was incredible it was it was such a powerful performance and I I like to see Nick and George thrive as separate people I know that sounds silly to say but I feel like so many of these shows when when the supporting cast the group into the same storyline which is like Chester and Allegra on the flat this is obviously much bit higher standard than that but I feel like when they don't have time to tell these important stories for each of the characters to just put them in a relationship and then have them tell the same story about them it was nice this week to see George and Nick get spotlight as separate people and then at the end you got that kind of like nod from the two of them to each other because they worked well together even though they weren't really working with each other i feel like we're probably going to see them fall in love with each other all over again and that might be nice to say still feels a little sudden considering how high the animosity and all was in the previous episode but we're getting hopefully we're getting to better places with them because i just want to see them both thrive as separate people and then if that's in a relationship hopefully we get to that stage before the show finishes but see i feel like that was the truth that wasn't expressed with the truth serum mm-hmm. I, do you guys ever watch a show and a character says something and it's like you're not saying what i as a viewer what i think you should be mm-hmm. saying from what i'm getting at and i feel like that was what was happening was like <sighs> i think what george needed to express is that like at least my reading is that as she was working with carson like she found an independence and a sense of self that she hadn't had before and like i said like that could kick off her like questioning everything 
and feeling like I want to explore this and feel to feel like I can do something on my own and see where that takes me if that brings us back together. But I don't feel like that was the truth that was expressed. Mm -hmm. And maybe as a viewer, I'm reading it my own way. I have to remember that my perspective is different than the story that they're telling. Um, but yeah, it, I don't know. It didn't completely work. So I'm I'm ready to see what they're going to do with Nick and George with the final two episodes and then season four. Um, but to circle back to to Nick, man, I love when he gets his, his episodes where he really just gets to... Uh, I love a Nick episode. Mm -hmm. I really do. <laughs> we really got to dig deep. Like it was, we were solving, we were investigating, we were doing our thing. And then he got pulled into the justice side of it. And um, and that conversation at the table where he was like, y'all are really willing to write this man off uh, because you want to leave or because you've made assumptions uh, that you're not supposed to be making assumptions about. I did love the way that he spoke to the um to the woman who was like, if the parents are bad, so are the so is the kid. Mm -hmm. And he was like, who, who what do your parents do? <laughs> like, I love that. <laughs> like you're not a doctor, right? <laughs> I mean, sometimes you have to to meet people with what they're giving you. Because mm -hmm. they say things and they think they're correct. And you're like, okay, well, by that logic, let's lay this all out on the table and I'm gonna feed you your logic back to you and see how it's not completely correct. And I loved seeing that in action. Like it's a good reminder to have that, keep that in mind because it's, it's so applicable today. Like there's so much incorrect information, so many convictions that are based on pure fear and hatred. That's not completely just, and just seeing Nick, that message in that episode, heard it loud and clear without it being like a very special episode. And mm -hmm. that's what I love about the show is that they always, they have something to say. And if you're listening, you'll hear it. Mm. Oh, it was like the episode with the woman who had gone missing. That was also, mm. um, yeah. a, a like that was a whole episode that was very powerful, but they gave Nick the moment in this one. And I just, and they had everybody at the table too. There was even um, the, the woman who they originally thought was the Carrie and Charity's soul. Mm -hmm. um, she was like, I was kicked out when I was 16. And, you know, I found my way. And he's like, yes, but you have to give him the opportunity to find his way too. And I was like, yes, preach. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, save him. Yeah, not everyone's story is the same. And I feel like it was important for Nick to be the one to say that. We've said it before. Nick episodes are incredible. And Tunji was just did a phenomenal job. But I never tire of listening to that man speak logic because it was just such a powerful scene. It was so cathartic and healing for Nick, I think, too. Mm -hmm. Like, that's... That's the that's the parts of Nick that where he finds catharsis and healing is again helping people, saving somebody. And he got to be the person he wishes he had at mm -hmm. the jury table. Um and the, the the way he was getting emotional too. And that's like if y'all don't change your minds, like because <laughs> <laughs> I don't see how you sit there and still want to convict that young man after what he mm -hmm. like after what Nick laid out on the table. Speaking of that young man. Wasn't he the guy from Riverdale season four at Jughead's private school? Yes. Brat, is that his name? Yes. I think every time I see a, an actor from that season of Riverdale, I'm triggered. I'm like, wait, why? Why am I triggered? <laughs> and then I have to figure out that they're from Riverdale season four. <laughs> <Is> that really <laughs> happened. <laughs> that happened in the Night Agent, too. I was like, wait, I know her. Why is this? Yeah. Like, this feels weird. <laughs> 
That's mm-hmm. funny. I, I think that's it for, I mean, there's like a whole, but this, there's so much happened in these two episodes that we could be talking for like three hours about mm-hmm. Nancy Drew. Um, but I think I am going to table the rest of my thoughts and I'll share them with you <laughs> later. Uh, but uh, that's it for uh, this week's pod. We came under two hours. Look at us go. Yeah, we did it. <laughs> who would have thought? I know. Not me. I do hope that for those who are listening or watching that you did grab a snack or a drink because <laughs> we were here for at least a little bit. But um, thank you for listening. We are the CW Spiral. I'm Sabrina. I'm Michael. And I'm Reed. Bye, y'all.